Take it easy. Take it easy. That's a good song. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff Hopkins, and I'm joined, as usual, by my good buddy Richard. Hello. And my good pal Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael often debate the Mount Rushmore of any given topic, the four things with which best represent a certain topic. And this week, it's a topic that I chose, and that is people who have been or were trapped in something or someplace. What, did you, what, what made you think of what this, Jeff? What made me think of this? You know, that, that you're trapped in this podcast. Yeah, trapped in this podcast. <laughs> we won't let uh, you leave. This not existentially. I'm literally shackled to this laptop and these microphones. And I am fascinated by how news media uh, goes haywire for when somebody is in a crisis and we need to do something about it. And uh, it makes international news and all these support services for some any given city or place will jump into action to try to save that person while people are dying left and right everywhere else all the time. <laughs> um, but those people then go on to live a, a life, um, you know, maybe it's completely uh, inconsequential, but they are at, at one point this focus of the goodwill of everybody on the planet. And then afterwards, they go off to be anonymous. Nobody's, if they survive, sometimes they just die in that hole. Uh, so uh, I would like to pick the person who is going to talk. Which which of you guys thinks you're most trapped? Okay, Richard, you I go say first. I'm pretty much trapped. Well, you're, you're trapped? You are in your own house. Okay. But you, you gave honors to Richard, so go for it, Richard. After you. Oh, well, all right then. So I'm going with Bill Murray from Groundhog Day. Oh, okay. oh that's a great little Phil choice. Phil Connors, who yeah. is not physically trapped, but is metaphysically trapped in the same day over and over all and right. over again. I don't know. Is this... The best comedy ever. It's in the uh, running. It's in the running. Favorite. I mean, it's, it's well done from on on all levels. One of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just and it's incredibly high rewatchability level. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Exactly. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Uh, for a while, I actually had put like uh, I got you, babe. On these are like back in the nineties uh, when you could do like <laughs> the uh, yeah. We could have like a song that you could like hook up to your iPad. Yeah. To have that. So I did that a couple of times just to uh, yeah. That's funny. My wife. Yeah. Um. I'm sure you guys have seen it. I mean, basically, he's Phil Connors. He's a, a very full of himself Pennsylvania weatherman who gets trapped, have, stuck having to go to Puxacani. Puxa. I don't think you said that right. No, let's try that again. Okay. Who gets stuck going to Puxatani, Pennsylvania? I think I'm not hearing the end. <laughs> who goes gets? We say Phil Connors stuck going to Puxatani. Isn't it Punxatani? Pucks on Tawny. Tawny Kitane. Okay. I get it? Okay. All right, okay. <laughs> I just had to shut up during that strange moment of... <laughs> we just turned into like a surreal, like a sitcom. What city does Phil Connors go to? <laughs> Pucks Ahani? He's in Portland, Maine. <laughs> okay. he's just, he's, he's what happens when he gets there? Shitbird, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and then he's just reporting on the aid, you know, groundhog that pops up, sees it's shadow yeah. or not. He, and he just hates being there. Mainly, I would assume, because he's got uh, Chris Elliott as his producer. Mm-hmm. That would make anyone kind of cranky. I think we could all... <laughs> he's I'll, a camera person. Oh, is he a camera person? Yeah. Oh, Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell's a producer, yeah. Right. And he's trying to put the moves on her, and she sensibly is wants nothing to do yeah. with him. Goes to sleep, wakes up the next day, and it's still Groundhog Day. Has to go out and do the same thing. And Deja vu starts to kick in. Yeah, it's just every, like weird. Just like every day, he goes to sleep and wakes up, and it's Groundhog Day mm-hmm. with, uh, I believe, is it Harry Shearer that's doing the voice of like the wacky morning guy? I know uh, Harold Ramis is one of them. Yeah, I think the other one might be Harry Shearer. I'm okay. not 100% sure. Okay. He kind of goes through all these steps of like, well, what would you do if like yeah. you're living the same day over and over again? You know, he goes and robs a bank. And he hires a prostitute one day to go, mm-hmm. you know, show up in a, a limo. Tries to, you know, do all these like ridiculous, like, yeah. over the top things. And then he starts to get really depressed about it and winds up killing himself over and over and over yeah. again. And eventually kind of realizes, you know what? I can actually use this to better myself. Yeah. So then he starts learning how to play piano, which he always wanted to do, and do mm-hmm. reading and make make his broadcast of the uh, of the Groundhog coming up as great as it could possibly yeah. be. It's actually been said that it's sort of a Buddhist movie mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. because it's that same sort of interpretation. And actually Harold Ramis's uh, 
My mother-in-law is actually a Zen Buddhist. And yeah, it's sort of that idea that that in Buddhism, you know, you just kind of have to try and do something until, you you know, you're you're aiming for perfection, even though you may not ever get it. And Bill Murray winds up kind of like, almost like the Bodhisattva mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. who's kind of this, this, this idea of someone who goes, has the, has the opportunity to reach Nirvana, but decides not to do it and yeah. decides to come back. So that's, that's the deep version of it. And, yeah. and sort of from a trap standpoint, it's like, what would you do if you're trapped? Mm-hmm. He must have been living the same day for 10,000 years. Yeah, we've described, yeah. I tried to figure this out one time. I tried to find, I thought there was something online. I couldn't find it. I'll see if I do find it. We can put it up on the show notes. But yeah, I think someone worked this out. And it's like to be able to learn how to play piano yeah. to like a virtuoso level mm-hmm. and, you know, all these other things that he was able to accomplish in like well, one it's, day. It's just be, he becomes like omnis, omnipotent, uh, omnipotent, uh, um, Punxsutawney. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he becomes omnipotent yeah, uh, yeah. um, about that world, yeah. where he knows everything that has ever happened or will happen. Right. Everybody about the, about everybody in the town, about everybody in the town, and you could, you know, you, that that's yeah. millions of lifetimes, or who mm-hmm. knows? I mean, I I think that's, and he plays it off so well. By the end, he kind of reaches like this calm. He reaches that kind of nirvana where right. he's just like, "This is my life. I know it's never going to change, and I just have to kind of." get better at this life. Yeah. Right. Even though it's the same day. And, he... and it's that, that sort of speech he winds up actually with Annie Medell mm-hmm. and he tries to explain it to her. And his basically his, the whole point is just sort of, even if I wind up going back and I never get stuck out of this, I'm happy where I am. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, from a depth standpoint, there's a lot going on with it, but yeah, this journey from, from independence to interdependence and from, almost of this narcissist personality disorder to this guy who thinks he's only as good as the people he can help. And it's just a beautiful life journey. And two more things real quick. Um, You can kind of track this through his interactions with Ned Ryerson. Yeah. One of the, the, you know, Stephen Tolosky, one of the greatest character actors. You know, the annoying needle-nosed Ned who goes from recognizing him on the street and beginning it sort of like gives her like hey you want to buy some life insurance oh, you mm-hmm. remember me needle nose ned yeah dated your sister till you told me to stop yeah and then like you know eventually later on as he's getting really depressed winds up just slugging him yeah to the end he's like buying a whole like yeah. life insurance and term policy and basically making his year yeah literally learning the value of life yeah basically something we have to save and protect i think that film maybe is one of the closest to coming to a it's a wonderful life level of sure journey for a character and then kind of a payoff at the end because it's really yeah. a time travel movie like um a christmas girl where this person goes on this impossible journey right and encounters all these people who impact their life and then is able to wake up the next day and learn that he hasn't missed it life is still there for him to celebrate exactly yeah Cool. What's your first, Michael? Well, I have four categories this week. I took a little time off from doing them. Oh, wow. And my four are... Um, Take accident- some more time off if you like. There you go. Accidental, natural, hostage, and self-inflicted. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but the first one is Baby Jessica. Oh, yeah. She... I mean, I think that this this is the exact yeah. person you kind of had in mind when you thought this up was... Yeah. She fell down that well... In uh, October 16th, 1987, close to just over 29 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was like a two-year-old baby. No, 18 months, something like that. And she was um, in the backyard of her like daycare center. And somehow, I guess you just have open wells. Was it a daycare center <laughs> or was it like her mom's backyard? Uh, I think her mom ran a daycare. Okay, that makes sense. Something like that. <laughs> oh, my God. So she fell down a 20-foot well and was stuck there um, for something like 58 hours. Not oh, something wow. like exactly 58 Did hours because I just lun- read that off of Did my computer. Did they throw a Lunchables down at her or something like that? <laughs> they sent her an ecto-cooler <laughs> and a Lunchables. And um, I guess the space, you know, it was so small that they had to – like retrench or dig out another tunnel to get down to her. It wasn't as easy as just like, yeah. you know, also she was 18 months old. I oh mean, my God. it's not like the babies can really understand, like, hold on to this and we're going to yeah. lower this down. Yeah. She was wedged in there. But I think like you said, it kind of created this national 
like story that everyone was following. Eventually yeah. she got a call, you know, she was rescued. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was uh, pulled out of the well and it became like a weird national TV monument. Like I'm, I don't quite, I remember watching it, but I don't like, it's tough to know exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was nine years old or something. Oh, so yeah, like yeah. I was a kid and it was so relatable because uh-huh. it was such a weird thing, but you know, she, Went on to be okay. I feel like today, if this happened, um, as soon as she gets age of majority, uh, avid or vivid entertainment would offer a porn contract. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that this is very similar to the kind of patriotism that happens after an attack on our country. Is were somebody to ever when this becomes sensational and it's on television, uh, if you were to ever question, why are we prioritizing? The life of one child over those of all the children that the that fallen down wells, fallen down war, or that are currently being unprotected by the people who are going out to try to save this child. Some of the first thing somebody asks is, "What's the matter? Don't you like babies?" <laughs> and then you look like the asshole in the room. So, what? Someone has to always take the the con side of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, obviously, Richard chose an existential interpretation, and and I think I also chose a very literal one of this. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, the question might be to Phil Connors and 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 baby Jessica, aren't we all trapped in a fucking well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's a metaphor for life. Yeah, if I've ever totally got heard one. Um, I remember. I mean, I'm a few years older than you, and I know Jeff. You're a little bit older than me, so yeah. I have more of like I remember. Like this was when CNN like became a thing because uh-huh. they covered it twenty four seven. Yeah, this was like one of the first like national at least twenty four seven kind of. Hmm. news broadcast about something that yes it's tragic that something was happening to this little kid but in the grand scheme of like what's happening in the world politics and yeah everything else that was going on was super inconsequential yeah i think it's ultimately just kind of humanizing like when you can focus on one particular person uh-huh. or i i bet like it was to her age you know, being two years old or just under two years old, like that, that's one of those things that kind of takes you out of the moment. You can, I, you can identify that more than people in a war. Yeah. yeah I, I did a little research cause I had this on my list for a while and then I took it off and I'm glad you had it on. I'm cause I remembered this story that in KTLA back in 1949 did the first sort of like live news broadcast around the clock from an emergency situation and it was this girl, Catherine Fiscus, she was three, and she fell down a uh, abandoned water well at her house hmm. in San Marino. And now my, my, you might remember Stan Chambers, the newsman for KTLA, was like, oh, sure. For like 70 years. Yeah, yeah. This was like his first big assignment. That was his break. And they, KTLA, went out there and they covered it for however long they were out there, a couple of days, until they were able to get someone out there. And she was dead. Oh. <laughs> Which I've always thought about, like, boy, what a. What would have happened to baby Jessica? Oh, sorry, we couldn't save her, you know. Yeah. Like, what a national downer that yeah. would have been. <laughs> yeah, who are we as a country if we can't, if we're if our children fall in holes, we can't pull them out. Right, and I had actually thought about another one was the, uh, when Bart Simpson got trapped. Oh, yeah. sure, well, Timmy O'Toole. Yes. <laughs> Timmy O'Toole, yeah. Sending our love down a well. The yeah, st- stings <laughs> the sting song. I, just to talk about the Simpsons for half a second. I love that, much like... A, Last week you talked about like Parks and Recs, how they kind of live in their own, uh, they kind of live in their own universe, yeah. their own bubble. Like people kind of invade the Simpsons universe from time yeah. to time. And the Sending Our Love Down the Well, they had like their celebrity We Are the World group. Yeah. And it was like Kent Brockman, their local <laughs> news channel. It was the Bumblebee Man. Krusty. It was Krusty the Clown. And then Sting. And Sting. <laughs> <laughs> like it's all these nobodies surrounded by this one. Like, and in this town, they are just as famous yeah. as Sting. Yeah. And the best part of that whole episode is eventually, you know, Bart actually falls in. They wind up saving him. And groundskeeper Willie says something like, well, I'm going to make sure this never happens again. And instead of closing up the well, just puts up a sign that says danger well. (laughs) (laughs) I in my flimsy research read that the guy who saved baby Jessica killed himself. Yeah. There's a, one of the, yeah, the guy who went down there. Yes. (laughs) My gosh. Also, uh, she did get an $800,000 trust fund when she turned 21. Oh, wow. That was like raised by the, uh, people from CNN. Good job, America. And I also remember the episode of what's up with that. Where right. one of the people they brought out was baby Jessica in a well. Okay, so uh, Richard's your second. 
All right, so my second one, I'm going to stick with the, the kind of metaphysical mm-hmm. being stuck and also fictional. I'm going with uh, Scott Bakula's character from Quantum Leap, Sam Beckett. Oh. One of my favorite shows growing up as a kid. God, I can't wait till they remake it with a oh, crappy cast on ABC <laughs> next year. Oh, for hell's sake. Let's not Sophia make... Vergara, Quantum Leap. Uh, why am I making a Quantum Leap? Or now I have leaped into someone else's body? Gucci, Gucci, Gucci. Oh, wait, that's not that's her. Charles. That's Charles. Oh, Slightly oh, different. I'm physicist Stephen Hawking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an executioner in the 15th century. What a ridiculous concept for a show. <laughs> it really is late. a silly concept for a show. I mean, so if you guys have never seen it. Was there one where he had Down syndrome or yes. something? Yes. Oh, God, that's horrible. Yes. So the, the, the basic concept is he is a some sort of physicist or some sort of like scientist guy uh-huh. who winds up trying to do an experiment that gets him sucked into like a time-space loop. Mm-hmm. And where he winds up inhabiting the bodies of these people, of people, could be any time, any place, any type of body. So sometimes it's females. Not any time. It had to be Like within his lifetime, Within his lifetime, which makes absolutely Absolutely no no sense. sense. There's no reason for that. They had to put parameters on there so it wasn't like, I'm in a centurion in Rome. (laughs) That was too much like the show Voyagers, I think. You remember Voyagers, Jeff? I never watched John it. Michael Hexum or whatever the John Eric Hexum, the I guy who never did. Oh, he did too. Oh wow. No, no, he's the guy who was on Scarecrow and Mrs. King or something, and he later on and there was like one of those like blank gun oh, accidents. The Mount Rushmore there. podcast is officially the nineteen eighty four uh television <laughs> TV guide, <laughs> TV uh, guide show episode. of record. Yes, we got we got you covered, boys. Well, did you like Quantum League? Yeah, I loved it. It was one of my favorite yeah. shows growing up. And Scott Back another um, as we mentioned, I think previously on the uh, on the show was the uh, Jimmy Smiths being on the Mount Rushmore of TV yeah. actors. Yeah, yeah, put Scott Bakula on there. I think. Yeah, well. Bakula mm-hmm. never had a movie career. Well, well, necessary roughness. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. he was in American Beauty. You're Cameo right. is the name. Yeah, of you're right. Yeah. So back to this show. I mean, basically, he gets stuck in this time loop. Has to go back. Winds up going back in the past. Inhabiting could be anybody. And his only link is Dean Stockwell. Which means you're fucked. Yeah. If you yeah, yeah, only yeah. linked it, your lifeline is Dean Stockwell. Yeah. You're in a lot of trouble. Who, he was still the the creepy guy in Blue Velvet for me at that time. But, yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. And, and and I don't know that his character mm-hmm. may have still been the guy from Blue Velvet, but just sort of toned down. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Him. And he's also got like this... Yeah. But see, you can only see him as like a hologram. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And like they've got some sort... And then they've got like the thing that tells them here's who you here's who you are and there's like a 48 percent chance that this is what you're supposed to do yeah and it was just kind of like a fun every because it was like you're right it's a completely goofy concept but once you work past that and kind of just buy into it yeah it's like watch it's, it's a great anthology sort of you don't have to get wrapped up in like a big you know week to week sort of you could tell a you could tell line. a lot of different stories and the fish out of water aspect kind of played into to whether he was jumping into the military guy or jumping into a woman's body, which was always hilarious. Yeah, and then sometimes they would mix it up. I, one of my favorite episodes, he gets um, jumped into the body of like a farmhand in West Texas in the 1950s. And he, like, the thing tells him, like, it's a 78% chance you're supposed to help this, the, the wife, you know, divorce her abusive husband or whatever yeah. it was. And he does it, and he's waiting for the leap. It doesn't happen. So he's like figuring out, okay, what am I supposed to do? And he sees another farmhand playing a guitar. He's like, what are you doing, buddy? Well, I'm just trying to write this song, but I don't kind of hard on the lyrics. And it's Buddy Holly trying to write Peggy Sue. Oh, and he can't well, figure out the name. He's like, Mindy Lou, Mindy oh, Lou. Okay. And he's like, yeah. Why don't you try Betty, Peggy Sue? That might roll off the tongue better. <laughs> and immediately jumps. Yeah. The only thing that bothered me about that show, I like, I, I think this is a fun pick. Um, I like the show a lot. Was it the computer that is it Al or yeah. Hal mm-hmm. that Al had? Was just like this faux scientific yeah. multicolored Mattel football games. It was that, just yeah. like it was, and it made the dumbest. I think it made like the dumbest noises. <laughs> and like I, that, that took me out. It was like yeah. that's not the future. Yeah, no, the no, future isn't a, a light bright or a yeah. <laughs> Or Simon game of Simon says, yeah. and also had one of the worst endings of any TV show ever. Oh, really? It was like the literally like, basically they ended it with a caption on screen that said Sam Beckett never jumped back to his body. Mm, oh depressing. god! It was basically the Poochie 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have to go back to my planet now. Yeah. But, and then he died on impact. That's basically it. Okay, your second, Michael. Well, I'm going to keep it depressing under my natural I category I love it. of the Donner family past. Oh, I love this. In the Donner family. Delicious. Uh, 1846 to 1847, uh, the Donner family and their families left Springfield, Illinois, headed to towards uh, California, because, you know, that's what you did in the 1840s. California, here we come. <laughs> they, went, they went out to strike it rich, I'm sure, with the gold mine. And mm-hmm. along the way, they, they left... They're like location, the, the place that you kind of take off from. Um, they left like a month late. I don't know what they were doing. I don't oh, know if they yeah. didn't have their bags packed or if they're just like lollygagging. But well, I think Priceline had some low, low prices <laughs> on wagons. <laughs> Priceline. Uh, um, you got to transfer on a burrow. You start on a <laughs> can, we, can we upgrade you to. Uh, <laughs> we have to name your price. So you have to say, okay, do I want a two star wagon, a one star burrow? Well, along the. Well, they, they eventually got stuck in the Sierra Nevada mountains and basically they froze to death. Yeah. I mean, so many of the people. It became famous because one, I mean, ultimately they took the wrong path. Like they tried to, like that never happens. Like when you're trying to like make up time, mm-hmm. it's like, well, let's take this sh- quote unquote shortcut. But then it was just like, yeah, I don't even like it. Like using ways. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm just going to stay on the freeway and see and ride this one out. Yeah. Maybe it'll take a little bit longer, but I know, mm-hmm. I know if I'm on the 101, I'm f- I'm fine. Yeah. And they yeah. just, they ended up getting stuck and the, the roads became too treacherous and too icy and mm-hmm. too snowed in. Yeah. And they had to start trying to survive. Yeah. And, and ended up killing the dogs. They ended d- up killing the pack animals. It's locally sourced, uh, <laughs> cruelty free um, protein. And then they just started eating each other. Eating Not each all other. of them, but like the best thing is that they, they, kill, they killed their two guides first. Oh. The people that, that like helped get them into this mess. They're like <laughs> their two Indian guides. Oh, I thought they just killed people. I thought they ate those who had died naturally. They they started. Oh, okay. They started with. That's only going to go so long, though. I mean, okay. No, it actually nobody, nobody it, volunteered to die naturally. Yeah, it actually started with murder and they killed their two guys oh. salvador and lewis oh man well, salvador sounds kind of italian-y you probably know. did something but he sounds yummy though i bet he seasoned well seasoned <laughs> a little bit of paprika <laughs> a little, little tomato sauce on him eventually uh you know and they were just trapped there for something like eight months and oh, wow. like just how i can't imagine the horrible condition and starvation that yeah. you must be in to resort to yeah, eating people. Oh my god! You know, I w- just watched The Shining a few days ago, and there is a movie that telegraphs all of its punches. And one from Jack Nicholson's just goggle-eyed overacting. He's acting maniacal and insane so much that you think, oh, he can't really be insane. He's acting too insane to be crazy. Hmm. And at one point, uh, Danny leans forward on their ride to the hotel. Dad, what was the Donner party? <laughs> and Nicholson just, well, they were some homesteaders <laughs> who had to resort to cannibalism. Just like, just it's like Nicholson doing a, a stand-up comic doing Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, uh, a family goes to Tahoe every year, and so we had. To and they don't back. always come back. It <laughs> <laughs> used, used to be like eight of us in the family. Just kind of working. They, they ate us in the family. <laughs> yeah. We we used to need a, need a giant SUV. Now we're down to the compact. And we so you you drive over the eighty, and there's the the rest stop that you the last rest stop before you go over the it's the Donner Pass. Oh, it is rest stop yeah that's so and, creepy and it's just like you stop and you know the kids ask you what's the daughter party and then you have to decide whether or not you're comfortable yeah. telling them about well this is where a lot of people had to freeze over the winter and so they started eating each other i always wanted to be in a restaurant hey guys there's fish over here in the water right? come <laughs> look at this be at the cheesecake factory and be the host and go daughter party of six daughter party of five daughter party of four <laughs> all right uh so i believe that does that bring us to the halftime? Yeah, halftime. Okay, all right. So 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have an opportunity uh, to pull us out of this trap we're in on iTunes, and and uh, uh, we I think we're trapped in a place where not many people know about this podcast, and you can help us by rating it, by reviewing it, by posting links on your Facebook, by sharing the episodes you love with your friends uh, and social media. You can do that on Twitter, and you can do that on Instagram. Follow us. That'll help people um, discover us trapped here in our well and hoist us to safety. So... Um, that was you, a. You can write past episodes too. Oh, Richard is so far down. I, I'm shining a flashlight down. I don't think I can see him. Can you see me, Richard? I, I see a bright light. Okay, Richard. Well, we're gonna throw can some. Go to the bright light. I'm gonna throw a bag of saltines down there for you. Awesome. Can you present some pepperoni? Jeez, he's gotten so demanding. He's so greedy down well. there. Well, <laughs> it's not a well of entitlement. <laughs> Oh, Richard is right. Rate the previous seasons or previous download previous episodes. Download. download. Listen to ones you haven't listened to before. Yeah, listen to our back You'll catalog. You'll probably find audio quality is not so great on. It'll be like traveling back in time to an Edison cylinder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, if you like scratchy, uh, loud things, go to our old podcast. We're back. Uh, Richard's crawled up out of the hole, and he's going to tell us his third. We keep yeah. trying to hit him with a shovel to get him back down there. <laughs> back down just there. won't stay. Like the, like the girl from The Ring, basically, yeah. is what you're trying to say. Um, I am going with the sailors of the USS Indianapolis. Oh, wow. Who got Robert Shaw is about to dis- do give, a monologue. Give, give the story. Oh, trust me. I've got the entire like uh, monologue queued up here if you guys would like to hear a dramatic reading of it. You got doll's eyes. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> For this podcast, we might. So the USS Indianapolis was a cruiser in the during World War II in the Pacific. Um, it actually del- was on a run delivering parts for uh, the atomic bomb that was going to be used in Hiroshima. And on its way, I think it went to Guam to drop off some sailors who were done with their their uh, tour, picked up some more sailors. No, we said atomic bomb, not atomic Guam. Oh, no. Oh, sad. <laughs> and wound up getting torpedoed by a, a Navy submarine. Um, sank in 12 minutes. So there's like 1,200 crewmen aboard, like 300 of them, 300 of them died just with the sinking and the explosions. Uh, the other 900 uh, were stuck for the next four days because the Navy didn't realize that the ship had actually gone down for a while, mm. so it didn't send anybody out. Um, a combination of exposure, dehydration, salt water poisoning because people were going mad and drinking salt water, which then, of course, makes you even more mad. And, uh, oh yeah, shark attacks. That's a... It's a it's, it's a bad couple of things that's, if you're on that show. Yeah, all of that's bad. Yeah, none of those any, are any good. one of those is bad, but altogether it's just a whole a stew of, of stew badness. of bad. I mean, bad. think about it. Like you're just got attacked, right? But you you survived. You're alive. You're <laughs> the like, worst is behind. Me. Yeah, but there's nothing. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay, then I'm sure just enjoying a nice swim. So imagine you're just kind of sitting there, like, I finally made it. Great, I got <laughs> one day. I'm sure they're gonna send out some. Somebody's gonna pick us up. Yeah. Bill, so we're gonna just Bill. We just gotta hold on. Bill, why is the water blood red? Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't know exactly how many were killed by the sharks. They actually think that, and to some extent, as people were dying, then the sharks were coming and picking off the bodies of the people oh. who were dying. So I mean, it seemed like more people were being attacked by sharks than actually were. But oh, okay. But. Absolutely, people were being attacked by sharks. Yeah. And in fact, the uh, re- the rescue crew that actually finally found them was not supposed to make a water landing, but the pilot looked down and literally saw people being attacked by sharks and said, you know what, fuck this. <laughs> I'm going down to get some people. So it, you know, it's, it's as, as Michael said, it's the story that Quint tells. It's supposed yeah. to be a survivor of the USS Indianapolis in, in uh, Jaws mm-hmm. and probably the... Defining one of the defining scenes of that whole it's a, movie. Yeah, it's a perfect scene. The idea scene. was, shark comes to the nearest man, that money start pounding, hollering, and screaming. Sometimes the shark would go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes. I would love it if there was one, in addition to the the shipwreck and then the sharks. If one crew member had a radio, and it was just playing, just 
a Celine Dion album or something <laughs> like over that. And over, over and over again. again. Like the people are like, ah, oh, what? How could it be even worse than this? <laughs> and then, <laughs> God, I wish a shark would eat me to get me out of this. <laughs> I drove all night. That's a pretty good song. All right. And so, uh, last thing about this, real quick. Um, the the uh, captain of the ship, uh, Charles McAvey, wound up getting court martialed because the Navy claimed that he wasn't zigzagging to avoid oh. the torpedo fire. And they actually called the Japanese pilot or the captain of the submarine who shot him, brought him in from Japan to try to testify against oh. him. And he said, no, he actually was doing the right thing. There's no, there was no way that I wasn't going to hit him even if he was zigzagging. Uh-huh. They then he up, shot everybody in the courtroom. Uh, yeah, and then committed separate. <laughs> um, and then, so they wind up, Nimitz winds up reducing the sentence. He restores him to active duty. He winds up retiring in 49 as a rear admiral. But basically, while most of the crew thought he didn't have anything to do with it, some of the survivors, the people who died, did. Like, he would get letters that would say, Merry Christmas! Our family's holiday would be a lot merrier if you hadn't killed my son. Oh, God, it's there's awful. Some, there's some brutal So letters. he wound up uh, um, killing himself in 1968 with a, his Navy-issue rifle uh, on his front lawn with a toy, sold, uh, toy sailor in a hand. A what? A toy, toy sailor. Like a little... Like, a doll. Yeah. Oh, wow. So oh that's it. A little okay, move on to the next one. A little too on that nose, <laughs> if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I think we see that one coming. <laughs> okay, Michael, what's your next choice? Uh, my category is hostage, and... It's uh, the book or the movie Misery by Stephen King. Wow. Yeah, I like that. The book and the movie are basically the same. There's like one, like the ending's a little bit different. But I mean, all of anything that's like translated. Kathy Bates is in the book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, her character. Okay. So it's about an author, uh, Paul Sheldon, who uh, writes a number of He's like been been writing a series of uh, like romance novels about this character named Misery Chastain, and um, he's kind of at the point in his career where he's done with it. He's his last novel in the Misery line is about to come out, and he's been working on like a new character and a new set of ideas because he's he's just over it. So he kind of goes off in this uh, like retreat to write, and he's in the Colorado mountains, and. Uh, after he finishes the novel, his new manuscript for his new book, he's driving home or driving back to the airport. His car goes off the road, and he's like trapped in a snowstorm. Uh-huh. Eventually, he's rescued by uh, like kind of this field nurse that lives out in the like kind of in the woods, um, and that's like Annie Wilkins or Annie Annie Wilkes, uh-huh. the Kathy Bates, Bates, Bates Kathy Bates character, uh-huh. and she. Uh, gets him back to her cabin and it's he's miles away they're miles away from anywhere so he's injured and he's slowly being nursed back to health by this character and of course she finds out or he finds out that she's the biggest misery chastain yeah. fan or like as a writer he she, uh, he's her favorite author yeah and um so she's nursing him back to health and it's going pretty slowly and she reads her new two things happen one she reads his new manuscript and she can't deal with it because she does she doesn't want she she doesn't care about the character yeah and she kind of loses it a little bit and two she goes to town to pick up like a his new novel mm-hmm. or, or the uh the last of the misery novels yeah and the misery character dies uh you kind of learn that she's a psychopath, yeah. that she might have killed a bunch of people in her past as well as a nurse. Mm-hmm. and all, mm-hmm. you know. So throughout the, the movie, he's you realize that Paul is being poisoned by her, and he tries to get away, tries to escape. Yeah. And in one of the most horrific scenes on in, in a film, she has him tied up. She puts a bl- piece of block of wood between his ankles, and she hobbles, hobbles his feet. Him. And it's just... And that's one of the big differences in like the the movie and the book is the book is a lot more grotesque. Yeah, she actually just chops off his leg. She chops off his off his foot. Uh, she also like cuts off part of his fingernails or a part of his fingers uh, because he's not typing fast enough. Like she's like a, a sociopath. Yeah. Ultimately, yada yada yada. Well, that's he, your judgment of her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he kills her. Yeah. He escapes and kills her. And, yeah. You know, is traumatized her life, but just but being 
under someone else's control to the extent that you just like you you can't physically fight back with her mm-hmm. um and you're just this this hostage and you're yeah. just trapped in this cuz she's a bruiser i mean she played a linebacker i think in western <laughs> kentucky <laughs> i love the stephen king only just mildly fictionalizes his actual feelings about his career. <laughs> let me die, people. Let me step out of uh, these these this type of jo- this genre that I work in, or his uh, his Dark Tower series, or all these different series that he's started, and he's kind of begging his audience. Or or Stephen King may you know be in a uh, rock band or uh, hang around at the types of places that other authors who write series like Sue Grafton who has to write A is for Apple and M is for murder and all that stuff yeah. and knows that these people are lucky enough to be trapped economically in this role where they have to provide and I think it's true now of this comic Comic-Con culture where the fans have such a close relationship with artists now it's almost just a shackle do you, think, you have. do you think that Sue Grafton, when she finished with Z, does she have to start like with exclamation point and <laughs> underscore? <laughs> schwa is for <laughs> schwa side, yeah. Well, so. like the, the Annie Wilkes character, sorry. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. The, the Annie Wilkes character, so she also has like that, you know, she the final novel of her favorite character dies and like, of course, she's she makes him write yeah. a new novel with a new character, which I kind of think speaks to that. It's like yeah. you sometimes as a fan, you don't want this thing to end and you want this thing to keep going on. Yeah. And you, you well, if this came out today, we'd just be talking about how it's all about, it's a metaphor for like fan service. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we'd be talking about. Mm-hmm. This reminds th- me of when I attacked Shell Silverstein after the sidewalk ended. <laughs> <laughs> I love this that. pick. Um, I, went back and was looking at this while you were talking because I re- had remembered Yahoo did like a big retrospective of that scene uh-huh. like last year. And because I remembered this, that like George Roy Hill, who did like The Sting, was set to direct the movie. And then he backed out the last minute because he oh. realized he just did not want to film that scene. And Rob Reiner was producing, had to jump in. Mm-hmm. And like so many like, uh, was it Warren Beatty was supposed to be, was really interested in playing James Caan's role, mm. but couldn't deal with that scene and basically his thing was well even if he keeps his legs he's going to be crippled and he's going to be a loser the rest of his life oh my god but it's like basically it's a, it's like this laundry list of like great american actors who pretty much all to like you know william hurt robert de niro kevin klein all these people who like turned it down in a lot of ways it was because of that scene bat midler was originally offered the, the an- kathy bates role the kathy bates huh. role and she wow. turned it down because of that scene Wow. So this scene was so like disturbing. William Goldman, who wrote it, mm-hmm. basically read it in the book and thought, wow, this is so disturbing. I didn't think people could do this to to one another. I have to write this script. Oh, wow. I didn't it's, realize that. I think it's interesting, too, like that the movie version, even though he doesn't like have his foot cut off, mm-hmm. that would almost have been too comedic. Right. It's even. It's so much. It's so much yeah. worse. And you just. It, oh my. Yeah. No. There's something about that. That act of like the hobbling versus, yeah. like you said, if it was cut off, you would. It would almost be like a gory, like yeah. Freddy Krueger type thing. Yeah. But this is just like it's almost more the psychological yeah. kind of. Yeah. Thing. I do find some pain is relatable. If I see somebody in a movie get a paper cut, I'm out. You can you could shoot me, but don't give me a paper cut in a movie because I will leave the theater. Well, you're blowing my pitch that I've got next week with uh, with Universal. Oh my god, paper cut, paper the film. cut the movie. Yeah, oh interior office supply warehouse day. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Ream is walking down the hall. Okay, uh, who's next? I believe it's me, and I believe it's my last one. Okay, make it good. All right, so I'm going to make it good. This is the abduction of Shin Sang-ok and Choi Yun-hee. I think we all know where we were when this happened. Yeah, do you guys remember when that happened? (laughs) Uh, He, Shin, was a uh, famous South Korean film director and had been married, I think they were divorced at this time, to uh, Choi and made a lot of movies in the 1960s, basically made South Korean uh, cinema in the 1960s. 1978, he gets abducted by Kim Jong-il. A few months, or she gets abducted. A few months later, he's trying to find her and winds up getting abducted as well. Oh, wow. And winds up, winds up for almost 10 years, like eight years, is in North Korea, and Kim Jong-il forces them to make movies for him. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, it's a wild, wild story. So, you know, they made a, 
several because I'm sure you guys like probably the... know Kim Jong Il was like obsessed with movies. He had like twenty five thousand mm-hmm. um, American movies, like this massive. Like, oh, collection. I'm sure since mm-hmm. it's North Korea, they're all on like Betamax. Yeah, he's, like bar- he's laser discs or something. <laughs> he borrowed yeah. one of my Superman films and hasn't gotten it back. What a it's tool. such <laughs> so what a fascist <laughs> that guy. What a what a dictator. <laughs> he puts the dick in dictator. <laughs> well, this seems like when uh, Tom Cruise abducted Katie Holmes that one time. Oh and, yeah, and they had kids and stuff and, and got forced, married. Forced her to make Scientology. <laughs> yeah. oh, wait, that was that was so John how- Travolta. Is that was it a public, very public abduction, or did he say he's he's a their patron? No, well, they he basically it was interesting because he kidnaps Choi first, and he houses her in this like really nice nice house, and takes her to state dinners, and is super complimentary. Meanwhile, after the husband shows up, puts him into like a prison camp, mm-hmm. and he tries to escape. It tries he tries to escape, gets put into like a prison camp for like yeah. two years. Then he says, basically sits down and says, look, I want you to make movies. I love movies. I want North Korean movies to be seen as, you know, the best, the best movies yeah. ever. We make the best movies here. <laughs> did they, did they win like whatever the North Korean version of, of the, the Oscar? Oscar? Every year, every year. <laughs> every year. Every <laughs> year. And also I be- hope so. best producer, Kim Jong-il, <laughs> yet again. And basically says, we want you to make these movies. We'll give you an unlimited budget. And actually, apparently, Kim Jong-il, because the actress actually recorded secretly a lot of these conversations, and they survived, and there's a documentary that came out last year oh, that wow. is really good about it. And he actually admitted, like, all these movies that are getting made, there's very, like, hagiography, which of course it is. It's North Korea. What would you expect? Mm-hmm. But he wanted movies that would be a little more realistic and something that could really show the struggle. Mm-hmm. So he was saying, basically, I'll give you an unlimited budget. Whatever you need, we'll do it. And so, yeah, he he made them come out in press conferences and say, no, we left for North Korea willingly because the studio system in South Korea is so constricting, and it, which really was the case. South Korea was actually still a military government at the mm-hmm. time, and there's a lot of restrictions on what they could mm-hmm. do. So they wound up making uh, six movies, and the last one was if you guys have ever seen the North Korean take on Godzilla, oh, no, the clips I of this, seen this, it's called uh, Pulsari, and it is <laughs> it's basically bad Godzilla, like seventies rubbery, really awful Godzilla, and they actually mm-hmm. brought in the people who made that to work this wow. Pulsari. Uh, they said they brought the Toho Studios guys, but like with this really tortured plot line that attempts to be an analogy to the like workers movement. Okay, and it's awful. Not the it's, good Godzilla plot line. No, yeah, not the not the not the well thought out, you know, thought provoking uh, atomic plot line energy that we expect from yeah, our God- right. Godzilla movies. So what was the? Did they release these? They wound guys? up escaping. They wound up go. They wound up. He wound up trusting him enough that they went to Vienna at a film festival to talk about about their god the shitty Godzilla movie, <laughs> and were basically were able to pull a Mos- Moscow on the Hudson in yeah. the middle of the night's escape. And there was even a lot of people who thought they were awfully close for a long time to them. Maybe this wasn't actually. Maybe they actually did kind of come over of their own devices. Mm-hmm. This was a big like debate for a long time. So this is one thing that movie came out last year and she played all these tapes. Wow. It was kind of proof. finally no. And and they did this, North Korea did this. They kidnapped a lot of Japanese um, artists and basically anyone that they needed to fill a kind of hole yeah. in their, in their world. Instead of developing somebody, they just thought, ah, oh, we'll just steal a Japanese person. Yeah. If you love someone, set them free. Yeah, yeah. Kim Jong Il wrote that. <laughs> free, free, set them free. Michael, what's your final choice? Well, I think we should end this on a high note. You know, this has been pretty depressing. Yeah, it's been pretty soul crushing at times. This will save save us, Michael. Save uh, us. Winnie the Pooh. Oh yeah, in That's true Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, which was an, a Disney animated short based on the A.A. Uh, a. Milne uh, book or a chapter in one of his mm-hmm. books. And it was later included in like the big Winnie the Pooh movie. Yeah. I would love if it was George R. R. Milne. <laughs> so, so dumb. Well, one day, okay, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Tell me a story, Mike, Michael. One day, Winnie the Pooh wakes up and discovers that he is all out of honey 
for his breakfast. Oh, bother. So, oh, bother. <laughs> um, so he um, decides that he's going to pay a visit to the honey tree. Um, and he gets a That's a strip club on <laughs> Sunland. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I don't even have a comeback for that. That was very good. And um, he, like, borrows a balloon from Christopher Robin, I believe, and he floats up to get honey out of the, you know, from the beehive and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Balloon pops. He falls down. Yeah. So he decides, listen, I'm still hungry. I'm going to go visit Rabbit. I know that guy's got a shit ton of honey. <laughs> so he pops in for a quick bite, eats too much. And can't get his fat ass out the door. <laughs> and um, so, so far, you pretty much summed up a lot of my weekends. But go ahead, keep going. Um, so he goes in, goes crazy on the honey, and then gets stuck trying to get out the door. And um, basically, all the rest of the uh, the critters in the hundred acre woods try to push him out and pull him out from the other side. Yeah. And it gets to a point where he's he he's just stuck. And uh, Rabbit has to deal with him. He's like stuck yeah. overnight, basically. And <laughs> Rabbit dresses his butt up as like a chair and tries <laughs> to put a hat on it and a picture frame around it. And um, basically, he just has to wait till he loses weight until he can fit out the door again. The Gopher, uh-huh. uh, I think his name is Gopher. Uh, like at least in the Disney version, tries to blow him up, or he offers to like dynamite him out of there. And um, he eventually shrinks, and he's pulled out by everyone. You know, rabbits pushing from one end and mm. Christopher Robin and Eeyore and all the other animals are pulling on the other side. And he gets popped out, goes flying through the air, gets stuck in the other honey tree <laughs> where he uh, continues to eat a bunch of the honey bits inside. So this is like a metaphor for addiction, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's 100%. He's, it's, it's him and Cookie Monster that are going toe-to-toe on so, who, yeah. is the most, who is the most furriest and addicted to there. He needs his honey and he has it at regular <laughs> intervals. And one time he's not able to find it. So he goes to a friend looking for his fix. Mm-hmm. His friend has something, but then he overdoes it oh, yeah. and has an OD. Mm-hmm. So then all the rest of his friends come over and try to help him. <laughs> an it's intervention. basically an yeah. intervention, yeah. Pooh, we all love you, but you <laughs> totally ignored my birthday. <laughs> the family's always seem like Give such Give me that assholes. goddamn honey right now! <laughs> you stole all the carrots from me! <laughs> you guys are all assholes. I don't need you. I just need honey. <laughs> Uh, so why did you pick that? I see heffalumps. I see woozles. <laughs> I, I, it was honestly, it was the very first thing I thought of. It's just a, it's just delightful. Yeah. Like he's trapped, but he's okay with being trapped. Yeah. Like he's ultimately. What a such, way to go. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and he's delighted in, you know, he, but he brought it on himself. Yeah. He has no one else. He has no one else to blame it on uh-huh. other than. His own addiction. <laughs> you know, that reminds me, this reminds me of every year at my birthday. Do you do this when you, you they sing the happy birthday song and you, you're looking at the candles and you have to blow out the candles, but before you blow out the candles, you make a wish or you have to make a wish? Do you, you've done this, right? Sure, of course. And then, yeah. uh, I'm always, the first thing I think about is the wish that I really want, which is like, to be able to drink again and then have sex with porn stars and then a, I'm in a big pile of money and I'm doing drugs even though I don't do drugs, but I people tell me drugs are great. And then they're good. Yeah. And there's, I'm just lying in a big sea of boobs and porn. <laughs> sea of boobs. And masturbating. There's and sharks and, there. Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realize I'm standing like my grandma's there and my parents are there <laughs> and all my friends are there. And I should probably wish something like, Maybe nobody dies of cancer or something. And the whole time I think, fuck you people. I want my porn and my boobs and my money. But I'm just going to wish that you guys don't die of horrible deaths and you're okay. Uh, aren't they, weren't there Winnie the Pooh books, like the original A Mill ones? Uh-huh. A lot kind of darker. Not, not like dark, dark. Those are I, the George R.R. Mill ones. Yes, yes. Now, I seem to remember them being like, like, like Eeyore's kind of a, not just it's kind of sullen, but he's kind of a dick. It's like, got a knife; it'll stab you too. I still remember like one of the stories, like it's when Kanga and Roo first show up, and that nobody like wants them there because they don't know what a kangaroo is. Uh-huh. Am I completely? Am I no? I am I insane about this? I seem to remember like picking these up for one one of my kids and reading one of the stories. I'm like, oh, that's slightly different than yeah. the Happy Hundred Acre Woods. Yeah, the original the original texts of most things tend to like you know old fables are always yeah. a lot more brutal than. Yeah, they turn into. I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. Yeah, uh, you know, like all of well, raw, those, raw doll stuff is 
Yeah, they're all cautionary. Cautionary, sure. but yeah. like and, and but like mean. And then once they kind of get Disneyfied uh-huh. or whatever version that they sanitized it, and the edges yeah. are sanded down quite yeah. a bit. Because those animals are all mortal enemies in the forest. Wouldn't they just rip each other's throats out? What type of bear, bear is poo? Other than a poo bear, what is a poo bear? <laughs> a honey bear. A sun bear. A golden bear. Yeah, as a kid, I remember Winnie the Pooh, Jabba the Hut, Attila the Hun. Like anything with the the in it is curious. Like what? What motivates that? Well, there's only one of them. He's, he's the only bear. Oh, okay. The bear. So my choice uh, as judge, uh, I get, I get, I get to do one good thing, and my choice is to. It's just Michael and pulling this uh, podcast out of the morbid and depressing category. There's probably an E for explicit on it anyhow. So. And uh, my favorite uh, trapped things are those Instagram videos where you find people rescuing an animal um, from some kind of thing. And here's this. Uh, so in, in those show notes links, there's going to be a link to people in Egypt have been feeding a trapped dog for a month and a group of five worked five days to rescue her. Meet Rook. And then there's that one of the ducks. So I love uh, um, things where people bond together to save somebody, especially a cute little dog, because sometimes it could have been a murderer who was trapped, and everybody frees him and rescues him, and he goes about on a killing spree again. <laughs> I mean, it could wait, happen, wait, right? Wait. <laughs> so the dog was a murderer? Was, this, was it Cujo? So <laughs> I'm not going to say what I it like was a, or what I like a good rescued animal story. <laughs> I, uh, we didn't choose Trapped in the Closet. I, no. thought, I thought about it, but like... We would just go down that deep well of... Well, see, go down the well, and we have to get somebody to rescue us. I mean, really, in Trapped in the Closet, he's trapped in the closet in the first episode only. Oh, and then right. the rest of it is just like nonsense. Like it doesn't... All of it is nonsense. Well, yes, you're All right. of it is nonsense. That stuff makes Medea seem like normal. Like, <laughs> You know what's funny? The Boo, that movie that's out right now? I want to see that movie because everything else in uh, that's on TV with the election is so fucking insane. Now Medea starts to seem like this all makes sense. <laughs> It's okay, all, all a Tyler Perry conspiracy. So uh, Richard won, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm the best. Because he's the best guy named Richard Manfredi at this table, and his choices, I think, were uh, very eclectic. Um, he chose uh, Bill Murray from Groundhog Day uh, in Punkatucky, Pennsylvania, Punxsutawney guys. Let's Sam get together. Beckett, which was the ultimate existential name even though uh sam beckett wrote existential plays he was the main character in quantum leap and the japanese director and actress kidnapped south korean south korean oh sorry um they don't they're not all the same jeff i'm not saying that for all our (laughs) south korean listeners out there we're probably just as big as south korea as we are in the united states Sailors of the USS Indianapolis. And then, uh, so that was a pretty pretty phenomenal uh, rack of choices. And Michael chose some other stuff. So, uh, so you're saying I won because I had a phenomenal rack? <laughs> you do. He's, still, he's still thinking of those boobs and the... <laughs> oh, exactly. God. Oh, you guys are still here? Okay. Um, so uh, one last one reason I want to implore you listeners. Um, Michael and Richard and I are trapped in this studio. We don't know how to get out. So please, if anybody's coming in the area of, of North Hollywood... We've actually been in here for like three days. Every episode, it smells so much like poop in here because there's so much poop in here, you guys. Right. <laughs> so please... Uh, um, send help. Send help. Uh, or else I'm going to have to eat one be- of you, too. Best- and I don't know which one of you two is more delicious. The Stand best, the best way you can Michael. send help is to uh, review us. We'll see review those. Us. We see the reviews and the ratings first. Yeah. And we'll, we'll reply know with our address. Yeah. <laughs> Because why even bother living if you're not going to help us? Uh, this has been the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I'm always Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. 